Hey, Mike. Happy New Year, Caleb. How are you doing? Happy New Year. I'm doing quite well, uh, enjoying January 1, and yeah, it's going well so far. Yeah, yeah. So far, this year has been going okay. Yeah. Uh, What are you drinking tonight? Uh, Tonight, I am drinking a bit of a tiki rum drink. I am having uh, three dots and a dash. It is, uh, I believe, a pretty classic tiki cocktail. This recipe comes from the Smuggler's Cove uh, book, which I I highly recommend. It's a book published by the uh, um, owner of the Smuggler's Cove, the the, uh, world-renowned tiki bar here in uh, San Francisco. Um, yeah, it's a great read. A lot of history of tiki and various recipes. Um, how about you? What are you drinking? I'm uh, drinking a Corpse Reviver number two. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So I haven't, I haven't made this, but it was out of, uh, I think it was out of the Death and Company book, which I got as a gift. So, uh, I'm enjoying it, uh, but it's a pretty classic cocktail. So it's just their spin on it. Um, but I didn't have a Lillet, so I substituted, uh, dry vermouth. Seems oh, to be it. Interesting. It's, Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> cool. Not not quite the perfect uh, mix, but anyways. Uh, no, and so, this year was going so well too. I'm so, I know. I started off with a bad cock. No, it's good. Um, <laughs> so this this episode, I thought we could talk about the service center. So we we talked about uh, dealerships uh, two episodes ago, and then last episode we spoke a bit about um, Tesla's uh, stores and galleries, and so then I thought we'd sort of continue uh, down the rabbit hole. Ending in the service centers and the service center philosophy, uh, because you know once you buy your vehicle, uh, at some point you may need to get it serviced uh, over its lifetime. And Tesla, what does Tesla do to deal with that? Um, and to talk a bit about just the overall systems they've put in place and what they do that's unique, um, and some of the attributes that they have that other car makers don't necessarily have access to today that potentially make their service offerings more interesting and also have uh, on the opposite side of that coin maybe allowed them to do some things with production of their vehicles knowing they have the safety net of service uh, and possibly pushing things a little bit faster than uh, (laughs) traditional car makers have done in the past. So I guess to start off, we could chat a bit about sort of their overall philosophy with service. Um, And I think one of the things that Elon Musk had said um, a few years back was that um, they, they view service as, as a critical component of the customer experience, um, and it's one of the top priorities. So, you know, that's not a super unique statement. I think most car companies would say they want their service to be good. Um, but what's different is Tesla actually owns and operates all of the service centers uh, that are in their network, uh, separate from the way that the dealership models work in the U.S. with automakers. So, uh in the U.S., at least, the uh, if you want to get your car serviced, you do that usually at the dealership that you uh, bought your car from or uh, at a local mechanic who's authorized or quasi-authorized uh, to work <laughs> on your vehicle. So when you say service, do you mean uh, like regularly scheduled um, maintenance and, and like swapping out of consumables like brake pads or something? Or do you mean something goes wrong and you need to have it fixed or is it a combination of the two? Yeah, it's both. So Tesla has uh, the capabilities to do the uh, regularly scheduled services, which we'll talk about uh, sort of what their process is for that. Uh, Also to deal with uh, the warranty repairs in the event that uh, a more unique uh, challenge comes up with your vehicle 
or uh, in addition to uh, doing any sort of service bulletins uh, that they issue, which uh, is sort of one step below a recall, uh, and then also uh, doing recalls. And then the service, yeah, and then one last thing, the service centers also deal with uh, delivery. And so uh, you will usually go to your service center to pick up a vehicle uh, on delivery. And so they are inspecting them from the trucks or the trains that are delivering uh, across the country from the Fremont factory and uh, doing any final tune-ups or adjustments that are necessary before they deliver the vehicle. So their service centers are pretty um, full, full service. Uh, they don't, it doesn't seem like many of them or any of them currently do body work. Um, and so they do have some authorized program in place now uh, to let third parties do body work, um, but it's very limited the number of uh, groups that have been authorized to do the body work. And the primary reason is that because the current Teslas are all aluminum, uh, it's very unusual material for cars to date. Uh, most cars are steel and a lot more forgiving than aluminum body panels. Interesting. Um, so, so, okay. So you're saying that, um, you'll buy your Tesla, you'll, you'll test drive or, or shop for your Tesla at the, um, showrooms that they have in mm -hmm. shopping areas and malls. Um, but you will actually, once you order your Tesla, you actually pick it up, not from the place where you purchased it, but from a service center. Yeah. And like we talked about in some of the service centers are actually, uh, co-joined, co um, co-located with the stores, but not all of them. And uh, in the earlier days, they actually had more service centers than stores because they realized it's more important for people to be able to get their car serviced uh, on a regular basis and that that be closer to customers than necessarily buying it, right? That if you need to buy a car, you might be willing to drive 100, 200 miles to the store to check it out once or twice. But over the lifetime of your vehicle, you don't want to have to drive 100 or 200 miles to get it serviced. Um, and so right, you've got your top of the funnel acquisition versus uh, yeah. slope of the funnel user retention. Exactly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> bringing it in on our uh, our day to day thought processes. Um, and and one of the one of the sort of interesting components of the overall philosophy is that these are all Tesla employees working in the service centers, which I think on the surface seems what would that afford you but it actually affords you affords tesla some interesting opportunities because they're all under the general nda uh, they all are getting information uh, about the company's plans and they all are also being uh, managed by executives at the company and so service is actually a part of the the company's um, strategy rather than someone else's problem and therefore, I think it leads to, you know, one, one really important statement from Elon Musk is that they don't want to make service a profit center for the company, uh, that he actually believes that it is morally wrong uh, to, to, to make money off of service um, and that that should just be delivered at cost. Um, and so we can talk a little bit more about that. But, um, you know, one of the other really interesting components of it is that if you're the company that's building the car and responsible for service, um, then you also, gen you know, obviously have an incentive to reduce the amount of service, both from a raw cost point of view, from your own warranty needs, but also from a customer experience point of view and uh, reliability and word of mouth that you want to have a really reliable car. And so Tesla has a slightly tighter feedback loop than many companies because their own employees 
have access to many more of the internal systems and have access to their internal engineers. So I think there's some interesting components we can, we can unpack uh, for Tesla service. Yeah, it sounds very analogous to, um, I mean, not to bring the, uh, yet, this yet again back to Apple, but it sounds very analogous to um, Apple where they used to sell all over the place and then they made an effort to consolidate into selling through their own stores and you've got the Genius Bar and Genius Bar appointments to actually get things serviced. Um, it's not quite as uh, the same because they do have other authorized people that can repair stuff, um, but it seems a little closer to that sort of model than the standard auto manufacturer model. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think especially with, with computers and um, consumer devices, before Apple had the stores with the Genius Bar component, getting your electronic serviced was really challenging, right? You'd have to make a warranty request and you often wouldn't do it at the place that you bought the product. You'd have to do it with the manufacturer. So then you'd have to find a way to ship it back and it was real hassle. Um, and it wasn't really a part of the philosophy of many of the consumer electronic companies to have this service-oriented culture. And Apple, I think both because the products were were generally more expensive and they built in more margin for service, and they knew that they had many customers who were new to the brand and maybe would need help from the sort of the PC to Mac transition uh, and then getting their iPods serviced and, and now obviously iPhones and iPads. Um, that having a place you can go to get get service done and have one company and one receipt uh, and one sort of uh, record of your products you've purchased and your warranty information is really valuable. And I think the car companies and and dealerships in the past have have thought about that and, and worried about it. It's not as if this is a totally new concept, of course. Um, but the division between the manufacturer and the dealership and some third party. Um, even though there'd be authorized Mercedes uh, repair service centers or, uh, you know, BMW or Audi or Honda or Toyota, um, they are not necessarily, you know, they can choose what they want to charge. They're trained, but they're not employees of that company. Uh, And I think things certainly change when it's your your own team members and your own company and your own executives are reporting up to the CEO uh, versus worrying about their own uh, fiefdoms and their own independent company. Do you think that makes them more likely to push out beta features essentially to, I mean, I guess that's the the joke with software companies is that your customers are your beta testers uh, and bug reports are sort of your, your product development cycle, or at least in the uh, degenerate case. Um, so, you know, is there a risk that, that by doing this, like Tesla is actually, um, sending out things a little bit before they're done? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, and I think it can, that, that exact same set of actions can be viewed from the point of view that that's great, uh, that uh, on the positive case, people are getting access to things um, early, that the company is pushing hard to ship new things out, and uh, they take responsibility for when things go wrong. So um, you have you have someone there to to catch uh, if things do go wrong, and so that's sort of a, a benefit that you get to be on the bleeding edge of of technology. On the on the negative view of that same set of actions is a a view of recklessness or um, foisting upon customers something that they have no choice of. That if you're spending a hundred thousand dollars or so on a vehicle. 
you expect it to work reliably, especially when it's a uh, as important to, to most people's lives as as their car. Um, that if your car is out of service for a week or even a day, uh, that can be pretty disruptive. And so I think that uh, it, it it will need the shift um, because. The, the folks who are buying Teslas and roads, you know, if you go back to the early days, people buying roadsters, um, I, I don't think many of those people were buying them as their daily driver. And so the expectations you would have from a service point of view on a sports car uh, are very different than what you might expect for a Honda Accord or Toyota Corolla. And so as a result, um, you can have a higher threshold of pain for allowing service problems to um, to be required and ex- exist, I suppose. Um, and they seem to allow that to continue into Model S in the early days. And there were, there were a fair number of uh, early issues and, and pretty significant number of, cus- of uh, early Model S's actually had the entire drivetrains replaced, um, you know, somewhere around 20 or 30 percent of the early models actually needed their entire motors uh, replaced. Um, and so that was a non, non-trivial non uh, service. <laughs> um, it was covered. Uh, Tesla paid for it. It was part of their warranty, which we'll talk about. But um, yeah, I think I think that uh, w- this will need to adjust a bit. And, and one of the other things that's really important to remember, too, is that Tesla is of the mindset that they roll out incremental changes to the product now, to the cars on a continual basis. So most car car manufacturers create a model year. They design the car. They have that program running. And then once it's done, that set of parts for that car are locked unless something terrible goes wrong. And that is what that car will be for that entire model year. And they will work on changes for the next model year but n- none of those changes will trickle down into the existing shipping vehicle. Um, very similar to what Apple does on the iPhones, right? You're, you don't really have an iPhone 7.1 and 7.2 and 7.3. Uh, they sort of bundle the changes up into model year releases, essentially. Um, and Tesla doesn't do that. And as a result, um, if they are to find that something is wrong... Uh, a part is not as durable as they expected, um, that uh, the way they're putting on a sealant isn't quite working, or the, a batch of sensors is defective and they need to go back and, and stop using those, that they have that sort of continual feedback loop between the service centers, uh, as well as the telemetry from the vehicles telling them what's happening. Oh, so you mean uh, like hardware as well as software? You're not just talking about like continually changing the software. You mean that that what from one month to the next it might have a different supplier for brakes or something yeah i mean they they've um they've changed the sensors in the in the falcon wing doors um they've changed like uh the key fob um battery uh, system and and like the software inside the key fobs which is not exactly uh you know software updatable from the car um uh, like latching systems uh, on the Model X, they they there were some latching issues they had, and they fixed those. Um, oh wow! So this, I mean, that sounds like that's going to be a nightmare for trying to if you if someone comes in with a Model X and you need to fix a broken latch or something. Uh, I guess you really need a pretty tight integration between the factory and the service centers to know that 
there might be like five different latches and depending on when it was manufactured you need to use latch three yeah absolutely i mean actually i saw a um a job posting uh for a software engineer in the service center department that was building their content management system for specifically that point of managing the vin number matching and what parts were included in that cut essentially that build of the car <laughs> so that they know how to service that car so basically when you come in for service uh it will pull up the exact set of things that you need to do and exactly what's in that car oh, they just um, need a git repo with all the parts and they can just fork it and branch it uh for every uh model it's it does sound like that's uh, essentially what they're they're doing they didn't call it a git repo but they did uh, they did go to the term content management system uh, because yeah they, they have so many different configurations of model s's and x's out there and i think it was one of the things that I don't think many owners um, fully appreciate is that uh, one of the reasons there are so many software updates, even though many of them are just sort of bug fixes or changes, is to accommodate uh, some of these underlying changes that are happening in the in the hardware. And so it's been Elon Musk has said that sometimes they'll have ten changes a week uh, and improvements to to the vehicle on the production line, uh, separate from the software. And so what that means is. Uh, very similar to the expectation that you'll get economies of scale as you produce more vehicles, it also means that you can expect, or Tesla expects, that early production vehicles may have higher warranty costs, that they may have to pay more to fix them, um, but but it's worth it to them because they, they need to iron out those issues anyways. And so as they slowly ramp up, uh, the the fewest number of cars are out there with the most problems, as they refine uh, and those cars are actually out in the wild, service center appointments are being had, people are getting them fixed, that then those changes like very quickly find them way, they find their way onto the production line, improving the overall quality of the vehicle. Um, and this was obviously a challenge with the Model X, where many of the original Model Xs had issues with the Falcon wing doors, um, with some of the seals, uh, with some of the, the doors not closing completely, uh, with some of the windows. And uh, in the last quarter, they said that they'd reduced the uh, the volume of service center inquiries around Model X, I think somewhere around 92%, which was sort of a, a Bezos, Amazon-style number. It wasn't <laughs> quite clear exactly what that meant, but they then went on to detail all of the improvements they've made to the to the Model X since and, and credited the fact that they... Uh, use the service centers as a, as a source of information uh, on what to do to improve. Interesting. So it sounds like even if you wanted to, there's not much you could do uh, with some sort of third-party garage. Uh, maybe the tires, I guess, maybe brake pads. I, I, I don't know. It sounds like all of the – it sounds like it's going to be really difficult for your neighborhood mechanic to do anything uh, meaningful to your Tesla. Yeah, exactly. And so sort of the, I think there's two macro trends happening there. One is affecting all cars, which is the uh, computerization of cars, where in the 50s, in the 40s, in the 30s, uh, cars had no computers in them uh, in any meaningful way. And so repairing cars was a purely mechanical uh, act and hence the word mechanic. Um, and, and so you would either, uh, in the early days, right with the Ford model T, you were still expected to service it yourself. 
And uh, the Model T was actually really uh, revolutionary in that it had a, an easy-to-follow set of manuals that they'd shipped with the car so that with just a, a simple set of tools you might have on the farm, you could repair your own Model T um, and not need to have a chauffeur who also was a mechanic. And that eventually moved to the car dealerships. But, but then having these independent uh, mechanics who could learn how to service different types of, of vehicles. And as a result, many of those independent uh, mechanics are less expensive. Now, obviously, mechanics have a very bad rap- reputation uh, generally for uh, trustworthiness when, when they're surveyed, uh, people are surveyed on you know least trustworthy professions. Car <laughs> mechanics are not very high up on that list because there's such an asymmetrical set of information, right? The, the mechanic knows a lot more about your car than you do and uh, and if they say you need us, uh, you know, a new number seven sprocket, and it's going to cost seven hundred dollars, you know, <laughs> you don't really have too many options but to buy that number seven sprocket for seven hundred dollars. Or those damn cracked CV boots. Yeah, or you know, you need to recharge your heater, or you need a, a timing belt, the dreaded timing belt. <laughs> oh, I remember geez. so many timing belt repairs. So, um, yeah, there aren't many independent dealers, uh, independent mechanics who can work on a Tesla because. As you point out, a Tesla uh, is primarily a really large computer, and the number of things that a, a traditional mechanic would would find familiar in a Tesla uh, is decreasing uh, every year. Um, and so, yes, they could replace the tires, um, but you could do that at you know a Sam's Club or Walmart or Tire Rack. Um, the wiper blades. Uh, the windshield wiper fluid, um, and potentially some of the sp- suspension, but even even pulling the data from the vehicle uh, is is proprietary. When they when you go in for service, they they pull all the logs and they run them through diagnostics of, of if there's any error codes or anything like that. Uh, they put the newer newest firmware on, but Tesla's actively monitoring uh, the telemetry from your car. Uh, to to the point where there was actually you know customers who reported Tesla calling them uh, out of the blue saying we noticed your 12 volt battery seemed to be having some issues um, would you mind if we sent out uh, someone to come and fix that for you <laughs> and they proactively sent people out to fix these cars because they they could tell that something was was not quite right uh, the uh, fine line between good service and stalkery behavior <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's definitely a fine line I, I think that. Uh, uh, they, they would need to be cautious of um, a certain set of uh, of those types of issues, but certainly uh, twelve volt batteries is is still a part of the Tesla startup process, which is funny. Um, but yeah, so so the amount of service that can be done by third parties is is, is pretty small, um, and also you know why most owners just go to Tesla. Um, wait, wait, I'm sorry. A 12-volt battery is part of a Tesla. So the 12-volt battery in an internal combustion engine is used to turn that like starter motor. What is it used for in a Tesla? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's it's used to power um, some of the uh, the, MC, the, uh, the touchscreen and a few of the other internal cabin 
items. Is that so that if you drain your your big battery, you can still do something? Like why would I think it? I think it's because they they need to ha- they wanted to have a low power a low voltage system as well because the battery is a high voltage system and uh, so there's so lots of, of lots like of having, car parts. Yeah, right. Instead of doing a transformer, the um, cabin lights and all that. Yeah, a lot of the parts are just expecting twelve volts, and so they have twelve volt batteries, and it's actually one of the parts that fails a lot um, because it doesn't have the alternator recharging it. Um, oh, really? They get they get used a lot more. They must have uh, some sort of step-down transformer or something. Yeah, they do it. have a way to charge it, apparently, but uh, it was one of the things in, in doing a lot of research that the 12-volt batteries seem to be... Uh, like they sometimes people are repa- replacing those every year, and I don't remember replacing my 12-volt battery every year on my previous internal no, combustion that would suck. Those cars. are expensive. Yeah, so so that's been one of the challenges. But yeah, and oh, one of the other things that's interesting too is um, the brakes you mentioned. Uh, most Teslas haven't replaced their brakes yet, even though many of them have been in service for for many years. And the primary reason is because of the regenerative braking. Uh, and so uh, the regenerative braking doesn't use the brake pads, um, but it still slows the car down. And so um, they actually encourage you to use your brakes uh, so that they don't rust. Um, because otherwise, <laughs> many times people don't even use their brake. They just have one pedal driving. So uh, oh, you, you could go much, much longer time-wise and mile-wise with Tesla brakes and um, many other cars. So uh, We, we lo- actually have gone like eight years with our brake pads, but that's because we have a manual transmission. And yeah, you can we use engine brake. Engine brake, yeah. Yeah, there you go. It's very similar uh, general philosophy there. Um, yeah, so, you know, obviously there, there should be less wear on an electric vehicle. So this is... One of the overall sort of, um, if you were sitting in the room on the whiteboard, like how much should service cost for a Tesla compared to an internal combustion engine, uh, all things being equal, a Tesla, uh, in, in any electric vehicle should be lower cost to service over its lifetime because there are fewer moving parts. Electric motors are far simpler. And to your earlier point, like the consumables in a, uh, internal combustion car are far fewer um so you know don't have oil uh you don't have the same level of transmissions to deal with you don't have timing belts you don't have all these moving parts that will break down in an engine over time um they don't do you know if they have transmission fluid is that a thing or that's probably not a thing in the tesla yeah they do have um they do have some transmission fluid but i'm pretty sure it's sealed it's just part of the um the one unit that's in the in the drivetrain and it, it it didn't come up in my research for their uh scheduled maintenance they do flush the fluid uh the water cooling in the battery pack at the four-year mark um and they'll do the brakes uh at the two-year mark but uh other than that those were the only two fluids they said they fully replaced um on the website as part of their service um so you know, their primary thing is focusing on checking wheel alignment, tire condition, uh, replacing parts like key batteries, uh, windshield wiper blades, doing software updates. Um, and then if there are any bulletins that have come from the factory, like, oh, this piece of trim tends to uh, get loose, use this new fastener, which we've sent you, uh, those sorts of things will be done when you bring your car in for service. Um, but in the long arc of time, Servicing a Tesla should be a pretty minor affair. Uh, now, that's very separate and different from what the reality has been um, <laughs> because the reality on the ground has been that Teslas have actually 
many, well, I think it's sort of this bimodal thing where sometimes people have a lot of service they need because the car uh, is still pretty new in its general life of only a few years. Tesla is still quite young in its production. And because they're pushing out these changes, it's possible, excuse me, that you will end up with a vehicle that has, uh, you know, the not fixed version of something and that may have cascaded into a few issues and therefore you're going to be sort of a service guinea pig and your car is uh, has multiple things that are going to need to be fixed um, and so I, when you when you listen to owners and look at some of the challenges that Tesla's had to acknowledge publicly um, there are certainly m- you could get the impression there are more issues with Tesla's than other cars of comparable cost and I don't think that is um, I don't think you'd be wrong in in drawing that conclusion um, I think it's just a, a matter of um, strategy and uh, f- newness and not a inherent component of an electric vehicle. Does that make sense? I think I think people could be afraid to buy a, an electric vehicle because they've heard Teslas sometimes have service problems. And I think it's important to tease those two apart. That one is about the inherent nature of electric vehicles and the other is about Tesla in particular, and their particular choices uh, that they've made. Right. Well, and their maturity as a manufacturer. It sounds like their their immaturity as a manufacturer is helped by the simplicity, the inherent simplicity of the electric vehicle relative to an internal combustion engine vehicle. And that kind of gets them in the ballpark, I guess, of one of the other like high-end manufacturers that I mean, no one's going to buy a BMW and expect it to be as reliable as an Accord or a Corolla. Like everyone I know who has BMWs or Mercedes, like they they know that there's going to be issues and usually it's an expensive fix to get parts from Germany. And the dealerships seem to have that in mind. And it's more of a high touch experience where someone might come pick you up. You'll get a loaner vehicle of like a similar make and model of your vehicle for when yours is in the shop. And, you know, the higher it gets, the like my my wife's coworker has an A8, an Audi A8, which has been in the shop a bunch of times. And she gets an A8 uh, replacement vehicle when when that's in the shop. So the only inconvenience is having to make that swap. Um, Is that does that make is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I think I think they certainly are flying under the cover of being a luxury automaker because. When you look at the stats for, okay, how does, how does service show up on the bottom line uh, in numbers that are more concrete than just anecdotal stories from customers, you can look at the amount of um, both service revenue, so uh, how much customers are paying Tesla for service uh, out of pocket, and then you can also look at how much uh, Tesla defers for warranty expense. So to unpack that a teeny bit, when you buy a new car, uh, you are, in almost every new car, has some warranty of some shape and size. Uh, the Teslas have a two-part warranty. One is for what you would traditionally think of your warranty, which is sort of the bumper-to-bumper warranty, which is four years or 50,000 miles, whichever comes first. And then they also have a unlimited drivetrain warranty, which is um, infinite mile uh, for eight years. So 
those are the two components. <laughs> Infinite miles for finite time. That's yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, uh, I th- I think they realize you can't drive an infinity amount of miles in eight years. So <laughs> it's they like signing could, a billion year contract. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, which was funny because a contract would never let you do that. You'd need to have a time a time bound. But um, uh, but that's on the battery pack and the drivetrain. And they they used to have that just on the um on the battery pack and then they realized or decided to, to add the drivetrain in too because it's um, relatively simple and sort of a, a marketing point to point out that, you know, our air quote engine has an infinite mile warranty. Now, how quickly <laughs> you can get to that is is up to you. Um, and they're just sort of, you know, using their actuarial tables to make sure that that's not uh, crazy. So anyways. And that's similar to what, other manufacturers have though too, right? Like I remember my car had a very short bumper to bumper warranty and a much longer drive train, drive train warranty. Yeah. The, um, the four year 50,000 miles is pretty standard from, from what I could see for many of the luxury car makers. Um, some of the upstarts like, well, not upstarts, but the, uh, folks like Hyundai and others have, have a little bit longer initial warranties, um, as, as a way to sway people, uh, to, to come to them. Um, so, so that costs something, right? So if you're going to say, we're going to cover this, that means as a company from the uh, investor point of view and the securities and exchange commission, they have to recognize, uh, that liability, uh, in their books. They have to set aside money essentially for how much they expect they'll have to pay for warranty costs. Um, so that uh, they can build that into the price, the cost of their revenue. Um, okay, so, so that's like an incentive for them to do better then, right? Because then as they, as they do better, they can drive that cost down. Yes, exactly. And so uh, for comparison's sake, uh, Tesla in 2015, uh, they spent about $1,000 per vehicle on actual repairs. Is that and- lifetime or annual? So that is uh, per vehicle sold in that period, like of the vehicle sold in that period. Oh, okay. They spent it, about a thousand. Okay. And they set aside an additional two thousand dollars in warranty to cover future repairs for the same cohort of vehicles. Um, and so that compares to Daimler, so Mercedes, which spent nine hundred seventy dollars per vehicle and set aside thirteen hundred dollars. So. About uh, you know eighty ninety dollars, uh, you know Daimler did about ninety dollars better on the first year costs, um, and they're about seven hundred dollars better on their deferred warranty costs, which you could interpret as Daimler spends less on warranty for their vehicles than Tesla currently does, but not you know that that's within shooting distance. Um, yeah, well, and it probably speaks to having more mature projections than Tesla might. Right, and so uh, and, and and they also have the similar four-year, fifty-thousand-mile warranty time. So pretty pretty comparable time periods. So I think that's pretty good that uh, Mercedes-Benz, which has been doing this for quite a long time and making cars uh, since the advent of vehicles, um, is spending a similar amount of money on the warranties for a similar class of vehicle uh, in Mercedes-Benz's. But Tesla actually uh, reduced their uh, warranty expenses 20% year over year and their accrual rate by 34% year over year. 
from 2014 to 2015. So uh, we don't have 2016 yet. We will in about a month or two, probably February. But uh, it'll be really interesting to see, uh, has 2016 been better for warranty uh, than 2015? And all expectations lead to that being true. Uh, now, the Model X will create a blip. Um, so the exit rate might be better than what the full year was. But I think that's all just to say that Tesla's slope of improvement on warranty should be steeper than Mercedes or other comparables. And where they need to get to is something where like GM is, where GM only spends $400 a vehicle uh, and it only sets aside $300 for future warranty. So a GM is wildly more reliable and has less costs associated over its warranty life than a Mercedes uh, by about 4x. Is that um, for parts and labor or just parts? That's just from the cost that uh, the manufacturer would have to reimburse the dealership for their warranty costs. So I think it's going to be both. I think yeah. it's parts and warranty, and it's sort of like copay. It's sort of like health insurance, right? Like where the, the doctor is going to bill the insurance company, and in this case, it's going to be the dealer is going to bill uh, Mercedes for that. And yeah, but what I'm wondering is like the, the, the parts you're replacing are going to be a lot more expensive in a Mercedes. So maybe it's like health insurance. If it was more expensive to work on a elite athlete than like me. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. I think that's definitely true. Like the actual materials and parts that have to be used in a Mercedes are both inherently more expensive and also the, uh, the labor and the sort of work required to fix those is probably they're more complex. If something is going to go wrong in a Mercedes in sort of the head unit, uh, replacing the entire uh, electronics in a Mercedes is going to be many, many thousands of dollars more than, you know, the radio in a, in a bare bones GM. Um, and the likelihood of your sat nav going wrong is definitely higher than a commodity AM, FM, CD radio, you know, so. <laughs> Do people still use CDs? Uh, I think they do. I think so, they wish they had tape decks for uh, for the audio in. Oh, oh yeah. Oh man, you're making me nostalgic now for that horrible experience. Um, so you mentioned that um, Tesla runs their own service centers um, versus like Mercedes and GM, who's not doing that. How does the cost of all of that factor into this? I'm assuming that doesn't. That's not included in these warranty numbers. It must be somewhere else. Like how do they how do they balance that out? The cost of the warranty uh, will go go into the cost of the vehicle. So the um, cost of goods of the cars have the warranty in them. So to your point, if Tesla is able to reliably decrease their warranty expectations, uh, then their profit per vehicle should go up. And we would see that uh, also in a decreased amount of service center revenue and service center cost. So... The way I think it works, and I would need to talk to the investor relations because I wasn't able to find definitive information on this, but I think the way it would have to work is that the salaries and time billed from service centers would be allocated in the event it's a warranty issue, would be allocated towards the warranty accrual value for that car. And so while that would show up as cost to the service center, it would be paid for in air quotes by the warranty. So it'd get drawn down from the warranty pool of money. And then mm -hmm. customers who are having out of warranty service or just a general service, which we'll talk about, 
they are paying cash from their own pockets as customers into the service center revenues. And that also would, you know, match up with the costs of uh, the time from those employees and the parts. So, but even just beyond like the, like the labor, because I mean, I guess you could say the labor cost might be analogous where the service center labor um, could be considered parallel to whatever the dealership labor was as part of the cost. But the expense of actually setting up and maintaining service centers is something that the other manufacturers don't have. So is that something that's just in a different part on Tesla's books or is that somehow like fractionally worked into the warranty thoughts? No, it's, it's built into the costs of running the service centers. And that's one of the reasons. So that would show that shows up in the service center costs, um, which is its own line item. Okay. So to, to make that not have a profit, it means that you're not only paying for the cost of the service uh, for the warranties and also the individual uh, repairs that people are doing out of warranty, but to your point, paying for the overhead and the sort of real estate of those service centers, which means that for any individual repair, it may seem pretty expensive on paper, uh, the bill, um, because it may ha- it has to actually sort of deal with more overhead uh, and paying for it. So um, how can I say this? Like the the cost of running the service centers is is fully bared by the operations of the service centers because they're trying to make that net zero. Okay. But it doesn't mean that like a 20 cent part is going to be sold to a customer for 20 cents just because they're not trying to make a profit. They may sell that part for $30 because they need that money to pay for the lights for that day, right? It's not how it actually works, but you know, the, the bill you get for your service um, may seem high relative to other car manufacturers because they're still sort of paying for the overhead of the service centers. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what I'm trying to understand, too, is like because they've got this whole other set of variables. I mean, I, I kind of see the it as sort of two axes that are kind of interesting where they've got the amount of staff in any given service center, which has got to be, you know, a, enough to accommodate service repairs and warranties and all this stuff at a reasonable rate, right? You don't want to have to like book it like a month in advance for getting repairs. So they've got to staff that up. But then as they drive that, their reliability better, they're going to have people, they're going to have essentially excess cap, excess human capital in their, mm-hmm. in their things. So that's, that's kind of an interesting thing to, to have to think about. And then there's this idea of the reach of their service centers. Like the the dealership model is kind of spread out throughout the country and throughout the world and um, kind of adjusts based on the demand in any given geographic area. But now, if since Tesla is going like the Starbucks model that we had talked about um, an episode or two ago, where they own all the service centers, that means they have to decide where to put them and they have to... Uh, well, yeah, like essentially run this enormous global network of service centers. So there's a question of how many service centers, where do they go and how many people are in them? And each of those is like variable based on the current reliability of their vehicles. And yeah, I don't know. That just seems like a logistical nightmare. Yeah, I think I think you bring up great points because it is a challenge they're struggling with because the service centers fulfill so many different components of Tesla's experience with customers from the deliveries, right? As more cars are delivered, service center stress 
is increased because a car, uh, a, a, you know, a, a, tr- a semi full of cars shows up at a service center and they need people to unload them to uh, make sure the customer knows the car is there, to prepare the car, to have staff on site who can run through new customers through their vehicle, get them out. And, uh, and then now they've probably got a whole new batch of people who in 12 months are going to show up for their annual service who are now sort of one of their air quote clients who, you know, now is a new stress on that particular service center. Right. And like what for picking up a vehicle, like what would you say is the maximum distance someone should have to travel to get a vehicle? Like how long would you drive like an hour maybe like at most i mean that's more than i would drive but i mean they they have um so the way they've dealt with this is they have um there are people who've driven hundreds of miles to get to service centers for pickup because they don't have stores or service centers in their area so that's certainly a um uh, an outlier but yeah i i would say uh 50 miles is probably the outer range that most people would be comfortable with especially Um, when you consider pickup is one thing but then any sort of repairs or recalls or anything means you have to make that round trip again yeah exactly i think most people's expectation is that there is a dealership somewhere in the next big town near them uh that's sort of what it needs to get to yeah um and so it needs to be in all major metropolitan areas uh and then for more rural areas it becomes more problematic and it will be a slower rollout like we talked about and i think that's why they're combining the stores with the service centers because then you have one less variable you're not also you're not figuring out where to put a service center and a retail store you just put them together because you know they're actually sort of mated and then the other thing that allows you to do is use retail staff to do deliveries potentially and share the workload of uh not having a a technician who's trained at repairing vehicles doing delivery or having people who are not as trained sitting around at a service center not being able to do anything else if they're not doing any deliveries that day. Oh, here's so, a free, here's a free business idea for for Tesla. Just have the vehicle drive itself off of the transport system into its parking spot and then in the large display have Elon himself giving a video walkthrough as soon as someone sits in the vehicle and explaining everything. Exactly. I mean the future will eventually be that the cars will deliver themselves to customers. I think that I think that'll be pretty, I don't, I don't know when that will happen, probably more than five years, less than 20, um, probably less than 15. Um, nice. But and there'll be a little AI. It, it, see, now we are getting into Westworld here. It's going to get you all set up. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the fact that they have the huge touchscreen, they clearly could run through uh, a, an interactive demo there, a wizard, if you will, a clippy, if you will, <laughs> uh, that people could, uh, could use to learn about the vehicle. Um, and, and I also think that clearly this has to change with Model 3, but I'm, we'll hold that for one second. Um, but the, uh, the other thing is, yeah, when you, when you view that, like, eventually the asymptotic view is that the warranty cost should go to zero. And now that's an impossible goal, but it's certainly what every car manufacturer would hope for. <laughs> a theoretical, spherical Tesla yeah. in a vacuum. Yeah, and the, and the Tesla potentially has the, the best chance to get the lowest uh, of any car maker, uh, uh, you know, internal combustion car maker, sure. that they need to have other sources of revenue for the service center or package the service centers in such a way that they can transition uh, that cost because they would hope that you never come into the service center. 
but they know they need them. So to your point, it's this really tough thing where you don't want to build too many because eventually you expect it to have really low uh, need for it. You know, similar to what Amazon, Jeff Bezos always said, like, I would prefer customers never have to write into customer support. So why don't we just fix the problem first instead of building a really great customer support team? The problem you realize is that you can't do that from day one and you actually won't have a business if you don't have a really great customer support team uh, <laughs> because you will have angry customers. So I think that's one of the stresses on the on the Tesla system right now. And, you know, the truth of that is, is that um, the actual number of cars per you can you can think about this from how many cars are there in the Tesla fleet relative to how many service centers there are as as a gauge for how they're sort of coping with that. Um, and there, they used to be around, uh, two or three years ago, around 500 vehicles per service center. Um, and now they're around 1200 vehicles per service center. So they are more densely, uh, utilized. And the question is, does Tesla feel that is too densely utilized to over capacity, or do they feel they can get more dense and get more cars per service center because they're decreasing the need to use service centers. How has their uh, independent uh, customer satisfaction uh, score been as the as those numbers have, have changed? Uh, they're still the number one um, brand that customers say they would buy again this year by Consumer Reports. Oh, cool. So it hasn't it hasn't fallen, but people who use service centers they sometimes do have to wait weeks for a regular service. Um, and, and it's spotty, right? It depends on where you are and what part of the quarter it is, if they're doing lots of deliveries. Um, but to this point, they've actually hired this, – this one was sort of uh, funny. Uh, they hired a guy um, named Kenny Handcomer, uh, who was a 25-year <laughs> veteran of F1, um, pit, the pit crew. He was a chief mechanic for the Red Bull racing team. Oh, nice. So does that mean you're going to get your repair done in like 10 seconds now? So yeah, so he's a lead service programs manager. Uh, so he's the global director of service innovation at Tesla now, and they hired him last year. And um, he is trying to bring F1-inspired pit crew style repairs to the Tesla service centers. What if that's the actual final role for the snake charger? What if it's actually, you can imagine that snake, instead of just plugging in the, the charging thing, maybe it's taking off wheels and... Yeah, wheel bolts. Yeah, kind of fishing its tentacles underneath the vehicle for some sort of undercarriage goosing or something. This could yeah, happen. It could. It could. So they have set up a, um, a new fast lane, an express queue, if you will, at service centers, so that if your car is only going to need 25 or 30 minutes of service, rather than you needing to wait overnight and give you a loaner car and all these things that they'll do, um, they've created a way to prioritize tire rotations, uh, quick fluid changes, um, wiper blade repairs, so that they can get those people out faster. So rather than a, um, uh, a first in, first, I guess, yeah, first in, first out, um, they're sort of modifying it and allowing it to be, well, if your car is going to be here overnight anyways, we could potentially see a few people ahead of you because you have already been given a loaner. So adding an extra hour to your service doesn't change anything, but right. it really changes the dynamics for these two or three people. So, so when Tesla gives you a loaner, does that, um, so almost everything in the Tesla is software based. So is there any way where you like sign into your, the loaner Tesla and all of your 
radio stations and presets and Spotify accounts and everything else that, that might be set up in your Tesla is already there? Apparently not. Not yet. Yeah. Uh, they traditionally, if you go in and you have a service, um, even if it's just for a few hours, uh, they will give you a loaner vehicle of an equivalent vehicle type. Uh, they've been pretty good about this. Um, if the particular service center does not have enough uh, loaner vehicles available, they're too over capacity, they work with Enterprise Rent-A-Car and they'll provide you a rental vehicle. Uh, but <laughs> thanks, it, thanks for bringing your Model X in. Have an Impala. <laughs> yeah, have a Yaris. Um, they'll pay for the gas. They'll pay for the gas. Um, so that's how they deal with overflow and they don't have enough of those vehicles. And that's where uh, some of the source of their... Um, uh, they use some of the trade-in vehicles for is for those uh, uh, oh, those vehicles, yeah. and then also some of the vehicles that they've used uh, that they've sold at a discount were those vehicles, which were the um, the, the loaner vehicles. Um, so they do give you a vehicle like some of the high-end dealerships do. Uh, I don't know if that will be continued when Model Three comes out. Um, you know. I feel like we need to redo almost every single episode in the context of Model 3. Like, how yeah. does this change when it's no longer like a lower volume luxury vehicle? Yeah. I, I mean, even the delivery process is like an hour long process. I just, <laughs> that is not going to fly. Um, but yeah, so the first, um, talking a little bit about some of the services, like the first service, they recommend doing service every year or 12,500 miles, which comes, whichever comes first. So it's not as if you buy a Tesla and don't ever have to have it serviced. And what kind of service is, is this? What, what, what does that entail? Yeah, so that entails a wheel alignment, um, a checking of the firmware for any errors in the logs. Doesn't uh, it seem like wheel alignment should be something it should be able to do on its own? Well, I mean, that, that's, they actually take the wheels off and they run that on those machines and they balance the wheels. Mm-hmm. That's that's like a, that's like a, a pretty mechanical. Um, ah, that seems kind of antiquated. I feel like they should have some sensors or something to lasers right. and whatnot. You should go work there and tell them about that. Um, <laughs> I'll just tweet some ideas at, at okay. Elon. I think that works. Uh, they will check the brakes, um, brake pads, um, change the windshield wipers, replace batteries, check the tread on the tires, uh, and rotate the tires. And for that, um, also they'll replace the air filter. Uh, and for that, they will charge you $400. So it's flat rate. The first year service is $400. The second year service does all of that, plus it does a brake fluid replacement, and it also does an AC, uh, air conditioning HVAC system service, and that's $700. Uh, year three is the same as year one, 400 bucks. And then year four is everything plus battery coolant replacement. So uh, the big battery pack in the bottom of the Tesla is water-cooled or coolant cooled it's not just water <laughs> it's cool um, cooled <laughs> yeah cool and cooled uh so they flush that and replace it uh and make sure the ph balance is correct um with new fluid uh and that's 900 bucks so um you're looking at around 2400 dollars in out-of-pocket costs over four years assuming everything goes well so, so so that's interesting i didn't know that i didn't really know you actually had to pay money out of pocket for the service um but you do and they allow you to pre-buy it in advance, uh, and you can save 300 bucks if you buy it uh, within the first 60 days. So it's sort of the Apple Care, but not really because you're actually Wait, expecting. It's, it's $400, and you can save 300 off it, or is that 400 if you 
Yeah, it's twenty four hundred dollars oh, okay. for the four years, and you can save three hundred dollars by prepaying. And okay, it costs that makes twenty one hundred. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're looking at twenty four hundred bucks about in the first four years just for regular services. Now, some of the Tesla owners in the forums and whatnot say they don't even go every year because they think it's ridiculous. Um, and this is where a lot of the consternation around. You said a Tesla is really cheap and shouldn't have stuff. Why is it $400 to replace my air filter and fill up my washer fluid? Um, so I think that is mainly around the time of the people uh, checking things. And a lot of the folks I found online actually had a lot more things replaced and fixed than um, was indicated by their service. Um, so if you notice any squeaks or squeals or bumps or anything like that, uh, that a lot of people actually get a lot more done on their car for free as part of that service. Um, and sometimes if you have a warranty issue, so say you go in and something's wrong with the door seal, they will do your first year service for free as part of it. So I think it's sort of, they put that in place because they needed a way to have a, a structured service program. But it sounds like a lot of people, anytime they've had an actual issue and a warranty coverage, they did that other work for free. Uh, and therefore they didn't really need their first year service. Um, but again, what that price point will be for Model 3, yet to be determined. Um, those, those prices are both for Model S and X. Um, yeah, they're probably going to be, I mean, obviously they're dipping into a more price-conscious uh, clientele. Yeah, I mean, $2,400 on a $100,000 car is one thing, but $2,400 on a $35,000 car is, you know, four times more effective cost. So that's a meaningful month, yearly service cost. Um, when many people might be used to only a couple hundred dollars a year. Um, and also, if you have a lease with Tesla, you still have to pay, where a lot of leases, oh, that's all the, the services part of included. A lease. Yeah. I know, yeah. I, I check that, um, and yeah, you still have to pay for the service uh, with the lease. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I guess the sort of final thing in, in wrapping up is, after digging through all of this, um, I feel like there's the very mechanical things of if something goes wrong with your car, you need a place to fix it. The owners no longer are people who can fix their own cars, so you need some place to go. So Tesla has to provide some level of service. Like, that seems pretty obvious. Okay. Then the question is, what can they do with service that is special above and beyond what other companies can do? And what, if given a blank sheet of paper, which Tesla had, what would you do differently? And I feel like... Some of the things they've done are uh, modeled purely after high-end luxury car companies like the loaner car, uh, like being able to schedule online, um, like having a preset price menu uh, so you know what's going to be there. Even if it might seem expensive, you at least know what it's going to cost and it's sort of a flat fee and all this stuff. So some predictability there. Uh, but from a technological point of view, how do the service centers impact the vehicle? That's what's been most interesting uh, in thinking about this because the idea that the service centers and Tesla is monitoring all the cars in the fleet to the point of like the battery or something going wrong, they can actually alert the car, alert you that you need to bring your car into service. They can know that you're coming in, that they would be able to prioritize all this uh, is really, really fascinating. And then that the things they notice in the cars that are coming in for service, repairing those, getting those integrated into the production line quickly, and eventually reducing the cost of manufacturing uh, and both making it more profitable for Tesla and making it require less service, 
is a really powerful positive reinforcement loop um, that, you know, the incentives for Tesla to make more profit by making the cars cheaper has the uh, positive externality of customer happiness going up as well <laughs> is really important for Model 3 because they will pr- be producing five to ten times more vehicles uh, than they've produced in the past. And it, to your point, it will be at a customer base that is not necessarily used to having another car and having your car in the service for a day or two is drastically different if you only have one car. Um, so for me personally, thinking about Model 3, I really want to make sure it's reliable. Um, and I think Tesla has to weight reliability higher on their uh, sort of priority list than they necessarily have in the past. And um, I think that also has to be reflected in the fact that the service center ad- like build rate has slowed. They used to build more service centers per year than they have. I think in the past quarter, they only built two. So they are making a bet that the current capacity of service centers will uh, be generally around the amount they need for Model 3, uh, which means they have to expect that there will be less service center visits. And if they get that wrong, that will be really, really troublesome for people because you will have a double whammy. (laughs) They won't be prepared and they will need to repair all these vehicles, uh, and they have the existing customer base. So wait times could be in the months, and they'd be really, really um, expletive, you know. (laughs) Unhappy. Unhappy customers. So um, I think this is one of the under-talked-about issues with Model 3 because it's one of those uh, unexpected unknowns that – if something is to go wrong, it will cascade down into this area that um, to pull yourself out of it will be really, really hard. Um, so I'm hoping that they really do have the quality control issues under under control. And I think this is the thing that in 2017 will drastically impact the ramp rate because I think the way they can control this is not ship cars that aren't ready. So they will <laughs> ramp slower Uh, like they did with Model X, to try and minimize the number of bad cars out there if there is a a sort of an issue because they know downstream they won't be able to fix it fast enough. Um, So better to minimize the absolute number of people with problems, not impact the rest of the service center system, fix the issues at the factory, and try and only ship cars that don't need a lot of service. Yeah, they don't want to start uh, running into Lemon Law lawsuits. Yeah, I mean, they could be in a really world of hurt um, because the profit margin on the Model 3 is not going to be that high anyways. Um, And I don't know exactly what the amount they're going to accrue for warranty is, but I'm expecting it will be less than uh, the the Model S's because they'll be able to bit more average that over all the vehicles. And they also, it's a lower price vehicle. So if it's a straight line sort of percentage, it's going to be a lower absolute amount. But if there's something wrong... Uh, the fixed cost of bringing in the car and servicing it time-wise um, could be you know, a much larger percentage of the total cost of repairing it. So it'll be interesting. I feel like um, their service is aspirationally really good. I think the, uh, the actual results with customers has been somewhat mixed. I think if it goes well, it's really great. Like it has the potential to be a really great experience. Um, order, you know, schedule online, have it get the loaner, have it done same day, get out of there, pretty cheap, nice and clean, friendly, all that. But if it goes wrong 
as a result of too much load, they can be really, really in a bad spot where, you know, your average Mercedes or BMW dealership, they don't have huge swings in demand in cars. Like they, they've got this pretty steady state. So Tesla is dealing with quite a lot of variance in um, demand. Uh, yeah, I mean, the actual automakers might even benefit from some plausible deniability with the uh, two-phase relationship of a dealership too. You might There's a chance a customer might just think it was a bad dealership and just buy it from the next BMW dealer instead of this totally. one. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, I think it'll be, um, you know, we're now in 2017, so... Uh, we expect there will be Model 3s coming this year, uh, so we will we will be keeping keeping a watchful eye on it. Um, so, any any other final thoughts, Mike? No, that was that was quite educational. Uh, yeah, I'm ready to. We've we've gone over an hour here, haven't we? Oh yeah, well we're, we're coming back. We we're we're doing a filler for uh, for last week. But um, <laughs> if anyone wants to share their experience as an owner with their service uh, service center experiences. Uh, you can let us know about it on Twitter if you want to try and squeeze it into a haiku length, 140 characters. Uh, or like, TweetStorm. Or TweetStorm. Yep, you could do that too. <laughs> you are unbounded in the TweetStorm. Just whatever uh, you do, don't write it in your notes app and take a screenshot and put that in the tweet. That's, you know, that's unacceptable no behavior. Yeah. Um, you can comment on the website, theteslashow.com, where we have each episode and open comment ability. And uh, if you're into Reddit, we also have a subreddit, r slash the Tesla show, where you can converse with us there. And other than that, uh, we'll talk with you next week and uh, hope everyone had a health, happy and healthy start to the new year. Talk to you later, Mike. <laughs> Bye.